following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning, everybody. Wow, what a joy to see you in church today on the eighth day of December. What a joy. Um, I come with a heavy heart a little bit today. My sweet mother-in-law got her wings this morning about 3.50, and the Lord took her home. We got to have her, though, for the last week, about nine days we had her in our house, and she is, she's a dream. She suffered, of course, with dementia and running into deep Alzheimer's and just had some tough, tough days. Must have had some little heart attack in our house on Friday, and she just started going down physically after that, and she left the world this morning. So the funeral will be Tuesday at Grace Church of Humble, where her son's pastor and her husband and she had that church for a number of years. Now the sons are there, and it'll be at 7 o'clock on Tuesday evening, and there'll be a, a family-only burial on Wednesday morning. So we covet your prayers. Thank you for praying. Many of you already know because you follow Facebook. I don't follow Facebook. I would have walked in ignorant of this today if I didn't know it. So all of you that don't follow Facebook, I'm telling you for the first time. And uh, what a joy to have had her in my life. I was her favorite son-in-law. <laughs> There's only one daughter. <laughs> so she had me whether she liked me or not. Somebody asked her one time, well, who's her favorite preacher? Which son's her favorite preacher? She said, the one that's preaching right now. If he's preaching, he's my favorite. If the other's preaching, he's my favorite. I was never in that mix. I was. But what a joy to have had her in our life, in our heart. And uh, she always, when she was stricken with dementia, she always had one line for me. Rex, she said, I want to thank you for being, taking such good care of my daughter. That's all she ever said. We got her to say it in the bed before she went to where she couldn't communicate anymore. Thursday was a great day. I took the three daughters and we went over and shared time with her. And she was very conversive, very coherent, very lucid. And I was just so happy because she, she conversed with everybody, knew everybody. And then Friday and Saturday and, of course, this morning, the Lord took her home. But we rejoice in the fact that, you know, some people, you know, the Lord's a, a good professor. He gives a great big curve sometimes. This thing called grace is a big curve. You know that, don't you? Because none of us deserve it. But I don't think he had to curve her too much. I think that woman lived for God every day. And she's a Sunday child. The Lord took her home on Sunday. Even when she was older and didn't have health enough to go to church, she was there every service on Sunday morning and on Saturday night. They did Saturday night and Sunday morning. She was always there. And what a joy to have had such a woman in my life. And I... I congratulate me for being able to have her in my life. I'm very happy to have her in my heart and my life today. Would you stand? You're awesome people, and I love you very much. I'm going, to, I'm going to talk to you a little bit today. This was composed in 1999, and I, I was going through some stuff the other day, and I saw that some things that I had written down that I had not given to this congregation, and it would be, it would be cruel for me not to give what God gave to me and I never had used in this house. And so thank you for being here today. I hope you have a great, great month of December. And I hope that you don't overspend those credit cards. <laughs> Let me give you my credit card sermon. Preheat your oven to 350. 
Put all your credit cards on a, on a sheet pan. Put them all there. Cook them for 10 minutes until they're good and crispy, maybe even a little melty. Then get them out. Let them, let them cool down so they're real crispy. Then cut them up and throw them in the trash. So you cook, cut, and throw. <laughs> cook, cut, and throw. You won't have no credit card debt. Because the hardest thing to do is to make 10 easy payments, and you know that. You know that. So be careful with that, all right? Don't get in debt. Don't let your mouth write a check that your body can't pay for, all right? Don't say you're going to do something and you can't do it. But do what you can, and you'll be blessed. I love you very much. Turn to somebody and say, don't miss Christmas. Don't miss Christmas. Don't miss it this year. Let's, let's have Christmas this year, all right? And I'm speaking today on the subject, those who missed Christmas. I'm going to talk about that today, those who missed Christmas. God bless you. You're awesome people. You may be seated. A strange paradox appears throughout the scriptures, and this is it. Man, himself made in the image of God, has always seemed inept at recognizing his maker or perceiving God's presence. The elements the elements in heaven above and earth beneath have ever and always excelled us all in the matter of being alert to the presence of the Almighty. If for a moment we could leave the context of this season, which is Christmas right now, the beginning of Christ's life, and consider instead the end of his life, the cross, there the priests who were in the house of God, who did not make room for the Lord of the house, did not truly know Jesus, but the veil in the temple did, and it was rent in twain. The soldiers had no sense of who he was. They were just crucifying, they thought, another common thief. But the sun hid its face and refused to shine for a space of three hours. Bystanders, people around the periphery of the cross, hadn't a clue as to whom was being killed that day. But the earth revolted and quaked beneath their feet and graves burst open. Clearly, there at the cross, this scriptural anomaly can be seen. Inanimate objects above and beneath him were more responsive than man to God's magnificent presence. It's pretty sad. But it didn't start there at the cross. Dial back some 30 plus years to the cradle and you'll see one of earth's saddest scenarios. John 1 and 11 said he came unto his own and his own received him not. 4,000 years of biblical history, promises and promise, prophecies and preparations, the creator courting his creation and his creatures. And of all of it was distilled in that single line, he came into his own and his own received him not. Before any of us, though, raise a hand to cast a stone for this unforgivable oversight, before any voice is raised to protest at such an unspeakable error that these people had, we must translate the truth of that moment into the year of our Lord, 2019, this time, this place, and our lives. And then, and then, let him or her who's without sin, that man or woman who feels they have been unerringly, continually aware of the presence of God, let that man, let that woman cast the first stone. See, if you're a student of history and the nuances that often be found, can be found there, then you might know that in the ninth year of the 19th century, 1809 to be exact, some of rather significant things seem to have transpired. 
There were some births that took place that I want to bring to your attention. One was William Gladstone, who would be prime minister of Britain no fewer than four times. He would introduce elementary education and the secret ballot. He was born in Liverpool, England. And, and in that same year in Lincolnshire, Alfred Tennyson, soon to be Lord Alfred Tennyson, began his life. And Cambridge heard the first cries of Oliver Wendell Holmes, who would become a renowned jurist and a Supreme Court justice. And in Boston, the brief but, brief but tragic life of Edgar Allan Poe, the poet, began. Elsewhere, a physician named Darwin christened his son, Charles Robert. Yeah, that Charles Darwin, the theory of evolution man that said we all came from monkeys and we swam before we walked. And then a rugged log cabin in Hardin County, Kentucky, welcomed a baby boy, an infant named Abraham Lincoln. He's pretty successful in life in 56 short years. And all of that, I am sure, happened in 1809. But who cared? Who cared? There was bigger news than bottles and babies. There was greater news than cradles and cribs in England and America during those days. Why? The attention of the world was fixed on the helpless hamlets of Austria and Napoleon's advance across them. With one voice, those who chronicled that era gave consent to the fact that nothing was more significant internationally or locally in 1809 than the fall of the country of Austria. And that conflict seemed so overwhelming, casting its long shadows over the entire rest of the world. And with one broad brushstroke, the historians gave singular emphasis to the bloody scenes of tyranny that were the work of this man, Napoleon, the diminutive dictator of France. From the places with names like Trafalgar and Waterloo, Napoleon's name meant power and superiority. But now think, now think with me. A veritable host of thinkers, a host of achievers, a host of world leaders, poets, and doctors, and statesmen were being born in that same year. Contemporaries to the conflict that was going on in Austria, and they were breathing their first breath. Gladstone, Tennyson, Holmes, Poe, Darwin, Lincoln. But the battlefields of Europe were ablaze, and English-speaking babies seemed the least of concerns of the world. Europe was in the limelight. And the destiny of the world was being shaped on the plains of Austria. Or was it? Or was it? Now we know. Not really. It didn't really matter now. How deceptive life can be, folks, to the undiscerning eye. And though they seemed so significant then, only a handful of history buffs can name even one of those Austrian campaign villages or cities that Napoleon went through. But the world knows not only the names, but the deeds of the legends of literature and science and government that I mentioned moments ago that were born in 1809. The fact is, what appeared significant then, what seemed so overwhelmingly important then, has been overridden by the ages of the now. And what went undetected, what we missed entirely was the fact that the genesis of a new age of understanding was beginning in 1809. And the natural world imitates the spiritual world. Now let me preach a little. While the pens of prophets had by times and season heralded Messiah's coming, the old canon of the Old Testament had been closed with Malachi's writing and his 
thundering promise that the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple. But centuries of silence and spiritually speaking had passed and it seemed less likely than ever. However, turn back 18 centuries from that remarkable year, 1809, and leave the secular record and enter the sacred record and let's see what we find. And you'll see that the world was watching Rome now. Rome, bounded on the west by the Atlantic, on the east by the Euphrates, on the north by the Rhine and the Danube rivers, and on the south by the hot sands of the Sahara Desert. Vast and vicious, Rome had it all. They had political intrigue. They had racial tension. They had rampant immorality. They had military might. And tiny Palestine, the birthplace of our Lord, existed only as a minion of the mighty Rome, pressed beneath the crushing heel of that great government called the Roman Empire. And Augustus Caesar was the focus, and he demanded a census so as to enlarge his revenues and levy more taxes. And his tormented mind reveled in the and the forced flight of families as they struggled to return to the cities of their origin just to register to make sure that they were counted in the community. And I feel safe to say that no one, certainly no one of consequence, even noticed a peasant couple as they made their 80-mile donkey ride on to the little burg of Bethlehem. On the contrary, all eyes were on Caesar and all eyes were on Rome. But truth be told, that cynical Caesar was just an errand boy. I'm going to say that again because you're asleep. <laughs> that cynical Caesar was just an errand boy sent to accomplish the purpose and the prophecy of an obscure holy man named Micah who wrote, But thou, Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose going forths have been from old, from everlasting. Caesar thought he was powerful, but he was just a pawn in the hand of Jehovah God. Hallelujah. Augustus Caesar. It sounds regal, but now it's just another incidental name on the prophecy's pages in pursuit of the incarnation. Ancient anointed utterances were assembling at Bethlehem and the long shadow of promise were about to merge into one body. And while Rome was busy making history, Christ came. God arrived and pitched his tent in silence in some straw in a stable under the brilliance of a flaming star. And Isaiah said, therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Now shalt call his name Emmanuel. Isaiah had written that 725 years before Bethlehem and literally nothing, nothing would be able to stop it. Let me say that again. When God prophesied it, nothing was going to stop it. When God said it, nothing was going to stop it. Reeling in the wake of Augusta the Great and Alexander the Great and Herod the Great, the world made a mistake. They missed Mary's baby. All the fullness of the Godhead bodily dwelled in Jesus Christ. And the world didn't see it. Creator, Redeemer, Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Lamb of God, Light of the World, Resurrection, Life, Alpha, Omega, First, Last, Beginning, Ending, Bright and Morning Star. 
This was Jesus, Jehovah Savior. In the Old Testament known as Jehovah, he was Shammah. He was called Jehovah Shammah, which means he was present, he was there. He was called Jehovah Shalom, which means he's our peace. He was called Jehovah Ra, which means our shepherd. He was called Rapha, which means our healer. He was called Nisi, which means our conqueror. Hallelujah. And our ensign. He was called Sidkanu, which means our righteousness. He was called Hosinu, which means our maker. He was called Makedish, which means he sanctifies us. He was called Elyon, which means most high. And Abraham knew him in Genesis 22 when he took Isaac to the top of the mountain as Jehovah Jireh, a God that would provide a lamb for the sacrifice. And I'm here to declare to you, the God that I'm preaching about in the Old Testament robed himself in the new and walked right into the Roman Empire and said, I am here and nobody's gonna take me away till I get ready to lay it down myself. Come on, clap your hands. He came to his own. And all the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in him. Artists have tried to capture him on canvas and they failed. Lyricists have sought to frame him with verse in a song, but to no avail. He remains more than the mind can imagine. Beyond what a tongue can tell, there it was. The might and the majesty of God masquerading as a man. Incarnation, Emmanuel, unbelievably God with us. And the issue now is the same as then. Let me talk to you. Will we see him this Christmas? Will we see him? Will we truly see him? Or will we just see the bells and the bows? Will we see the tower and trees and tinsel? Will we see the shopping and the malls? Will we see all the hustle and the bustle? Or will we stop long enough to see Christ in this Christmas? And on this eighth day of the, of, of the month, the first time we were able to preach about Christmas past our story last week, it's a wonderful life. It's an amazing thing that we need to capture Jesus right now and say for the rest of this month, Jesus, you and me are going to walk together. We're going to have fellowship together because without you there is no Christmas Without you, there is no power. There is no presence. Come on, clap your hands real big. Without you, we are nothing. So let me tell you about those that missed him. The innkeeper, the innkeeper missed him. He didn't see Christ. It wasn't because he was against him or harbored any hostility toward Christ or opposed him in any way, none of the above. The innkeeper was just preoccupied. He was just preoccupied, too preoccupied. And Caesar's edict had brought hundreds, even thousands back to Bethlehem. It was boom time. And there was a lot of things to be done. There were beds to be prepared. There were meals to be fixed. There was water to be drawn. There was bread to be baked. And so standing within earshot, in earshot, in earshot of the place where the manger was, earshot of the infant's first sound, within sight of what others Later in life would travel years to see. He missed him. He missed Christmas because he was too preoccupied. Can I talk to you just a moment out of my heart, not out of notes? Can I talk to you? Don't get carried away with stuff this Christmas. Let Christ be the center of everything you do this Christmas. 
This world needs the Jesus that we worship here on Sunday morning. This world needs the Christ I'm preaching about today. They don't need more stuff. They need Jesus in their life. Come on, church. Let's celebrate what he is every service the rest of this month and know that God is with us. He's Emmanuel and he's with us. The innkeeper missed him because he got preoccupied with things. Herod missed him. Herod missed him. Maybe you're not surprised, but his tribe, Herod's tribe is still with us today. Perhaps some very near, maybe some are sitting beside you, hidden behind the pathological paranoia that drove him to do heinous things like execute his own son five days before his death to ensure that that son would not reign after him. He killed him. As one of his final acts, he ordered many influential citizens imprisoned and then to be slain at his death because he said, no one will weep for me when I die and I won't weep it. And I know they'll cry over themselves. He slaughtered innocent babies two years and under in Bethlehem because he just did not want anybody to take his throne Lurking behind that paranoia that makes us dismiss him out of hand, I see something simpler, but just as sinister in his life. Someone who doesn't see Christ, who doesn't experience him because they want nothing to interfere with their ambition and with their plans and with their lifestyle. They have a throne and they don't want anybody else sitting on it but them. But until, oh, I know I'm preaching, but until you relinquish your throne and give it to him, you will never know the joy and the peace and the contentment that comes from having Jesus Christ in your life. Come on, clap your hands real big and rejoice in that. You've got to dethrone yourself and put Jesus on the throne of your life. See, Jesus was a threat to Herod. Herod. Seeing Jesus to him enthroning Mary's child means abandoning the throne myself. And so Herod and those who follow hard in the tracks of self-centeredness and self-will failed to see Christ. And Herod missed him. Herod missed him. And religious leaders didn't see him either. They didn't see him. Matthew 2 and 4 said, When Herod had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. They said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. Incensed when asked by the wise men from the east, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? See, it was a title that Herod held for himself. He was king of the Jews. And he assembled Hebrew leaders and priests and scribes and leaders of the people. And when he asked them, what has been asked him, they answer without any hesitation. They knew, they were aware because they quoted Micah 5 and 2 to him and they were only five or six miles themselves from the manger. They were guardians of the truth in Israel but they didn't feel any real sense of need so they were indifferent to it all, unwilling to walk about five or six miles to see the Son of God. Let me tell you something. There's one thing to know this book. There's another thing to know the author of this book. I can read little, win, little Men or Little Women and I can read War and Peace and I can read Where the Red Fern Grows and I can read all those precious books. But I tell you what, I don't know the author that wrote those books, but I do know the author that wrote this book. 
I do know him. And you need more than just this book in your life. I'm kind of like that little old boy. I'm kind of like that little old boy that went to church and he loved the preacher. He just loved the preacher to death. He just thought he was the coolest thing. But he thought his sermons were too long. And he told his parents, he's about eight years old. And then he said, but mama, something bothers me worse than that. He prays longer than he preaches. His prayers are forever. And one day the parents asked the preacher to come to the house to have Sunday dinner. And the boy said, we won't eat all day. We won't eat. And said, so, but the preacher, when he got there, he bowed his head and he said, Lord, I want you to bless the food, bless this family and bless their future. In Jesus' name, amen. And the little boy looked up and said, wow. It's amazing how short you pray when you're hungry. Can I tell you something? I'm not going to preach long today. I'm not going to pray long today, but I am hungry for the presence of God in this church. I don't want this to be just a month of celebration of things and stuff. I want this to be a month of celebration of Jesus Christ in this house. Come on. Anybody hungry for a move of God, a personal move of God in your life this month? It's imperative. It's important. It's necessary that you have a move of God. But all that sounds fanciful to us now because we saw a man that was preoccupied. We saw a king who was fearful of losing his throne and we saw scribes and, 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 and all these sages that were indifferent. God, don't let me be preoccupied. Don't let me be fearful of giving up my, my life to let your life rule my life. And God, don't let me be indifferent to your presence. Let me love your presence. May I say something to you, and I'm going to close. I'm, I'm just about ready to finish in a little while. <laughs> you that know me, know me. But it's not time to leave. The, the end's going to be better than the beginning. But let me say something to you. Let me say something to you. Church is not the only place where you can feel the presence of God. Why don't you this Christmas, why don't you get up every morning this Christmas season and just thank the Lord for coming to this earth and for becoming a man and walking with us and healing our sick and raising our dead and saving our families and blessing our lives. Why don't you just get up every day and thank him for that? Why don't you let your house be a little bit of heaven on earth? Why, why does it always have to be filled with cursed words and violent threats why can't our homes be something of peace and joy and the happiness of Almighty God? That's what happens when you see Christmas as it should be and you accept the Lord into your life as you should accept Him. I want to say this. Right now, right now, we need to ask Christ to come. We need that. I wish I could ask you to bow your head even right now. Would you do that? Just bow your head right where you are. This is not the closing prayer. But bow your head, and I want you to say these three words. Dear Lord, come. And now say, into my life. Dear Lord, come into my life. I want you in my life this Christmas. God is near. Yet we don't often fail. We often fail to see him, seize him, or experience him.
May God help us even in this moment to see him, hold on to him, make him part of our, our life. Mary came to Elizabeth after the angel told her she was going to have a baby. She came to Elizabeth. Elizabeth was her cousin. Elizabeth was a high priest wife. She had in her for six months John the Baptist. She was going to birth the Baptist, the John the Baptist, the man who was going to be the baptizer, pave the way for Jesus Christ to come. And when Mary came with her salutations, John leaped in the womb of Elizabeth. John leaped in the womb of Elizabeth. And Elizabeth made this statement to Mary. She said, Blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. That word is used two times in the Bible, and it's a very unique word. Performance is just don't seem like a Bible word. It sounds like something you'd see on a race car and maybe a NASCAR. This car needs to have a performance today. But Jesus came through Mary to give a performance. It was a performance. It was perfection. It was completion. It was vindication. Because he came to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. 3,600 years of prophetic utterances, finding fulfillment. And there was a performance in Mary's life. A virgin bore a baby. Angelic voices leaped out of heaven. And the universe conspired and put a star over the stable yard. There was a performance. There still is day by day now, week by week, month by month, and year by year. And I'm just thinking, I'm just, I'm just going to go ahead and say this. That why don't, why don't you get pregnant with hope? Why don't you get pregnant with expectation? Why don't you let something impregnate your spirit? I'm not talking about birthing a child. I'm talking about birthing something that will take you into 2020 and allow you to have a year like you've never dreamed possible. But let something impregnate your heart and your life and change the way you think about all this stuff around you and let you get a grip on and a hold of Jesus Christ, King and Lord of our lives. Amen? Why don't you do that? So he comes. He comes just as spectacularly now as he did then. Let's don't miss him this Christmas. Let's enjoy him this Christmas because nothing else is bigger. Well, Pastor, there's a lot of politics going on in the world, yeah. Let me say it again. Nothing is bigger. Pastor, there's a lot of famine in the world, yeah, but nothing is bigger. Pastor, there's a lot of wars and rumors of wars in the world, yeah, but nothing is bigger. That'll all fade away. But Jesus is here to stay. He's here to stay. So on this first Sunday, on this first Sunday, on this first Sunday of December that we could preach the gospel to you, I don't want you to miss Christmas. I don't want you to miss it. I don't want you to miss it thinking that it's out here or out here. It's in a party or it's in a plan or it's in something that you drink or something that you shoot or something that you inhale. I don't want you to think it's that way. I want you to think it's in a, it's in a man Christ Jesus. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our life. And Jesus is our future. And I love you very much. And I want you to stand to your feet right now all over the building. And I want you to clap your hands real big for Jesus Christ, not for the message, but for the Lord Jesus Christ. Come on, all over the building. Come on, all over the building. All over the building. 
all over the building. Amen. If you're a germaphobe, take a wrist, but if you're not, take a hand beside you. And let me, let me, let me bless you right now. First of all, I'm going to pray this prayer because I want, I, want I want everybody to know the Lord this December. I, I don't want you to come here and not, not have a chance to claim the Lord and confess the Lord in your life. So I want you to bow your head and close your eyes and I want everybody to say this prayer with me so nobody will be embarrassed. Dear Lord, forgive me of my sins. Wash me. Cleanse me. Make me new. Make me whole. I surrender myself to you. My whole life is in your hands. I need you. I want you. Thank you for hearing my petition today. Clap your hands real big. Clap your hands real big. Amen. And now, I want you to bow your heads again. Bow your heads again. We're going to pray a little different prayer now. Dear Lord, thank you for putting up with me. I have ran away from your will and walked out of your way and done my own thinking. But Lord, I want to renew myself. I want to renew my life. I want to renew my experience. I want to come back to the cross. I need you, Lord, in my life. Touch me. Heal me. Make me whole. In Jesus' name, amen. Clap your hands real big, amen. 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 And now bow your heads one more time. One more time. Take somebody's hand. Let me pray over you. Dear Father, in the name of the Lord. I love these precious people. I love them. I truly do love them. And Lord, if I love them, can you imagine how much you love them? It's hard to imagine how much you love us. You let a little, a little woman that trusted you for 86 years, you let her wait till Sunday to take her home. And you took her home at, in the fourth watch of the night. In the darkest time of the night, you took her home. You took her to the city of eternal light. You took her home. That's the kind of God you are. And you came to us when we couldn't go to you. Now, Lord, I thank you for that. And I thank you for these precious people that love you today and that want you in their life and want to, want to renew themselves in your, in your kingdom today. Lord, I pray for these people. God, let everybody understand that we're not trying to bend arms. We're not trying to bend wheels. We're just trying to make you available to their hearts and their lives and bless them now. Bless them with all the favor and the goodness of God this season. Let them hold you close. Let them hold you tight. Let them get a grip and not let go. Now bless us this week. Bring us back next Sunday for our wonderful production. Then on the 22nd before Christmas, we want to preach the gospel one more time. Bless these people as they depart today. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. amen. Say it again. Amen. amen. Say it one more time. Amen. Amen. amen.